This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. And welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly looking at today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. My name is Rob Pacienza, and I am joined by our co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you. Great to see you as always, Rob. Another uh, terrific program that we have today. One of the neat things about doing this program is we get to talk to so many interesting, exciting, engaging people. It's always fun for me to go and tell friends and family, hey, guess who I interviewed for the podcast today? And it's it's uh, our, our producers and, and the folks here just doing a f- fantastic job of lining people up for us. On today's program, we're talking with somebody who um, it really seems to have come on the scene in the past couple of years and made a, a big impact. A fascinating guy. His name is Samuel Say. He's a writer and blogger and podcaster. And, you know, this this medium of podcasting is 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 really putting new voices to the forefront. And I think it's very exciting in many ways. There's some terrible ones, some harmful ones out there, but there are so many great ones too. Samuels is one of them. And we were excited to have him on to talk through a range of issues. Absolutely. And his blog, if you have not been to it, you can go online and just Google slow to write Samuel say, and he's got fascinating conversations, blogs, articles, addressing everything from uh, wokeism to critical race theory, to uh, what's happening in our culture, from our universities to mainstream media. And so he's somebody that certainly resonates with those that I believe watch this or listen to this podcast. He yeah. is doing a lot of the same work. Um, how do we look at this world through the lens of God's infallible word? So I had the privilege of meeting him at a conference this past summer, and we just connected instantly, um, uh, coming about kind of the worldview conversation from the from the same perspective, and uh, just anxious to have him on this show talking about his work, uh, but how do we as the church in North America in the 21st century uh, not shy away from what's happening in the culture, but, uh, you know, to, to really address it head on. Absolutely. And and he's got an important uh, voice as a black Christian who is also very critical of things like critical race theory and much of the, frankly, neo-Marxist leftist thought that passes itself off, even in the church these days, as justice and social justice, he goes right after. Absolutely. And I think that's the key. He's not only exposing what's happening in the culture, but he's exposing what's happening in the church. Right. Uh, not not only is wokeism something that's being dealt with at, in our universities on the mainstream media, uh, but he's really delving into how is wokeism affecting the pulpits in North America? Um, how are some of these dangerous ideologies of cultural Marxism? Mm-hmm. Uh, how have they infiltrated seminaries and, and, and some happened. of the some of the most conservative denominations yes. historically in America? So uh, great conversation with Samuel. So here, uh, without further ado, is our conversation on the City of God podcast with Samuel Say. So great to have you on the City of God podcast today. And let's just jump right into the conversation. Um, many Americans, North Americans, were introduced to this concept of uh, being woke and wokeism uh, several years ago. But explain briefly for our audience, maybe they're not caught up to speed or don't really understand maybe the the, the concept of being woke or kind of what it means. Uh, in a nutshell, what, what does it mean to be woke and kind of what's what's the whole theory and the premise behind the woke movement right now? Yeah, that's a great way to start off because the word woke is very important to understand a lot of the how um, woke ideology started. And it goes all the way back, not 
with Black Lives Matter or any time even in the 20th century. It goes all the way back into the 19th century with Karl Marx with his uh, communism and or Marxism. And basically, woke ideology really stems from what is called conflict theory. Um, that is uh, actually, uh, I studied in, um, in, in college. I had a textbook that said essentially that his ideology of conflict theory might be the most consequential um, theory within um, sociology as a whole. So this is a very important ideology that's shaping so much of how people understand the issue of justice um, or equality or so-called equity in society. But basically it means that there is, there are only two kinds of people in society. It is the oppressor and the oppressed. Uh, this is called you know, the oppressor supposedly is the bourgeoisie that would be the upper class wealthy people the elites and then the the uh the um the oppressed would be the proletariat that would be the working class poor class right that's what marxism was really teaching so it's much more of an economic theory and what he said in a sense he was prophesying so he's a false prophet because it didn't happen but he was uh he prophesied that one day the, they would have equity, essentially. You'd have communism, you'd have socialism, you'd have um, this utopia that would, that would exist in society. Of course, that didn't happen. But one thing he said is that, that the, the proletariat, the oppressed, would, have, would gain class consciousness, meaning that they would become aware of their so-called oppression from the bourgeoisie, from the oppressed. And when they become aware, then they would have a violent revolution against um, the, the, the bourgeoisie. Now, that class consciousness is wokeness. That's what woke ideology really means. It's when a so-called oppressed person, or even apparently, even in many cases, even a you know an oppressor becomes becomes woke, becomes conscious of the oppression against um, black people or you know all non-white people, against so-called transgender people, against um, you know um, homosexuals, against non-Christians, against basically everything that woke people claim to be oppressive, right? That's what really woke ideology is saying. As I've already kind of implied, it's not just on the issue of race or sexuality or gender. It's on basically every single form of identity or practice you can think of. And so, of course, this got started on an economic basis when Marxism originally germinated. And then in America, particularly, it was more transferred to these social issues when the economic side of it wasn't taking place. But um, to, to coin a phrase, uh, uh, Marxists be Marxing, you'd, of course, expect that from them. But yeah. how is it that this woke ideology has started to make real inroads into so many areas of evangelicalism? That's a great question. There are so many um, reasons behind it. Um, the first is, is that, honestly, a lot of people just do not have a biblical worldview. I think one of the things that happened with Black Lives Matter all the way back, not in 2020, way back in um, the initial Ferguson Black Lives Matter riots, mm -hmm. is that a lot of evangelicals realized that, wait a minute, we have not really, I know Vadi Bokum has addressed this many times, that we didn't realize that there were um, that there were false lines, that we had just a poor biblical worldview. So many of us were just surprised by just Black Lives Matter. Wait a minute, like, are are we prepared to understand what biblical justice is? Do we really understand it? Because we weren't prepared for it. And then also you had a lot of, um, a lot of young Christians 
really being sent to schools, being sent to public schools, whether we're being taught a different view of justice than what the Bible teaches. And you had pastors who were just not teaching on this issue. So one of the saddest things is I've had a lot of pastors reach out to me, you know, asking for help on these issues. And I always say, you know, um, I, I'm happy to help. I'm, a, I'm just a blogger. <laughs> you have the word of God. Teach the word of God. Preach it in season or out of season. We have the word of God, but so many of us do not believe the Bible is sufficient on these issues. Mm-hmm. So we've been going to other, we've been going to uh, worldly people to understand uh, what, you know, what justice is. And of course they're wrong. And then I think another big thing is there is a lot of, you know, you guys are, I'm sure are familiar with, you know, white guilt. There's also, I think an evangelical guilt um, in you know in our circles, which is that you know in the past you had some of our favorite um, you know pastors or authors who unfortunately supported slavery and segregation, and I think for a long time and you saw this with the SBC and other denominations there is this guilt over some people in our history, and I think because of that so many. Um, so many uh, evangelicals today wanted to be different from them. They wanted to correct, you know, the past in a sense. But the irony is they were doing the exact same thing by embracing critical race theory that some of our forefathers did by embracing white supremacy in that these are worldly views. So in their mind, they're thinking, well, if we embrace critical race theory, then we will be unlike the people in the past who embraced racism. But then they're also embracing a kind of racism by embracing critical race theory. It is the exact same thing in that they unfortunately are rejecting the sufficiency and the authority of the scriptures. That's so good. And I just want to go back to your earlier comments, your introductory comments about uh, what it means to be woke and and wokeism, because there have been so many people um, that have come out and say uh, that conservative evangelicals are overreacting to critical race theory, overreacting to wokeism. And I've I've even heard some evangelical leaders say, you can't even define wokeism. And you did so in such a very concise and precise way that I think is so helpful for our audience, kind of proving that, no, we can define these terms, these things. Things are real, and they're things mm-hmm. that the church should uh, really uh, listen to and, and really understand, uh, not only how they're affecting society at large, but also affecting uh, the Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you already mentioned his name. Uh, we have a, a mutual uh, admiration and, and uh, friend in Vody Bauckham, um, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about uh, wokeism and critical race theory, and I know he has some pretty strong uh, convictions concerning critical race theory, wokeism and how it's uh, incompatible uh, with the biblical worldview. What's your position? Because we do have not only Christians sitting in the pews embracing wokeism and critical race theory, but we have pastors. We have a pastor, uh, a, a well-known pastor, I won't mention his name, that but wrote, wrote a book called Woke Church, um, <laughs> saying that the church needs yeah. to be woke. Um, yeah. w- would you go as far as saying that, uh, that critical race theory and woke ideology is completely incompatible with the biblical worldview? Absolutely. It is, it is just as evil as white supremacy. Wow. It is, it is, it is evil. And the sad thing is this, it's extremely prominent. Um, that's, that's what, you know, one of the things I tell people is I've read Mein Kampf, right? That's a racist evil book from Hitler, but I've also read white fragility and, um, how to be an anti-racist. I think, I think the better title for Ibram Kendi's how to be a how to be an anti-racist is actually how to be a racist. Because these, you know, 
how to be a racist or how to be an anti-racist and how to be or uh, white fragility are some of the most racist books I've read. And I've read Mein Kampf, but yet there are the best selling books on racism over the last five, six, seven years. And many evangelicals have been recommending this book in their churches, yeah. pastors, absolutely, podcasters. I've, I've, it's, it's, it's shocking. There, in, in, um, in White Fragility, um, in White Fragility, um, um, the author Robin D'Angelo, she says that a positive white identity is an impossible goal. I, I, it blows my mind that any Christian, let alone a pastor, a, a leader, could say this is a good book to read. It's, it's an evil book. And the thing is, and I know we might talk about it, you know, critical race theory, because of that kind of comment from Robin D'Angelo, is leading to so many white young people saying, well, I don't want to be white then because I'm, I'm an oppressor. Then guess what? Then because of that, they say, well, I want to change my gender because I can't change my skin color, but I can change my gender and then I'll be an oppressed person instead of being an oppressor because being an oppressed person has currency, right? Being a victim gives you power, ironically, in our society. But being an oppressor, of course, that's undesirable. But then going back to you know the question that you said, absolutely, woke ideology is completely evil. It is not. It, it, it opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says that white people are a special kind of sinners. And that's not what the Bible says. All of us, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have original sin. But critical race theory says that, well, the original sin, it's really especially unique amongst white people in that non-white people are more innocent than guilty because apparently, according to their ideology, because we're oppressed. It's absolutely wrong. We are all oppressors in the sense that we are all sinners. All of us are guilty of sin against an image bearer. Right. And in, in some capacity, we've all been oppressed by sins against us. Right. But then, as the Bible says, we should all be slow to take offense and we should all be absolutely striving to obey God and to love our neighbor. But critical race theory says, do not love your neighbor. And then, by saying you shouldn't love your white neighbors, it's also saying you should not love God. So, it really just saddens me that so many evangelicals have embraced this. And it's very, very prominent. This idea that's not very prominent is actually shocking to me because I, so in Canada, and you wouldn't think critical race theory would be very common in, in Canada, but it's very, very common um, in, in where, where I was, um, you know, that's my nation. I just moved to the U.S. Uh, about two years ago after I got married. But there's a Christian school in, in Calgary, Alberta, um, and it, it, they invited me to speak on racism uh, two years ago. And um, I guess they assumed that because I was black that I would be woke and they were wrong because I addressed critical race theory. And afterward, they released a public letter to denounce me as a black man wow. for being a racist, essentially. And, you know, this is this is a school, again, a very popular Christian school. Many of the parents were shocked that, that they released that letter. They had no idea that critical race theory had grabbed hold of the entire university. And you also have Baptist denominations here in Canada, like the SBC, who have also embraced critical race theory. It is extremely common. I've, I'm seeing it destroying families and friends and churches. I've received so many emails from pastors just sharing how their church is really grappling with this issue because so many people, including some pastors, have embraced critical race theory.
I think you touch on something really important here too, Samuel, and that is that this is not just a political issue. This really does cut to the heart of the gospel, and 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 I think you're helping to bring that out. One of the things that I notice in, in these discussions is that you you really do have uh, what is in essence, I think, a false religion, uh, an alternative religion that's being presented. It has its own original sin, which is whiteness. Um, it it has its own system of penance. Uh, you know, whether you have to go through these sort of forced re-education classes and sensitivity training, or you can pay to have Robin D'Angelo come and give a, a seminar for uh, tens of thousands of dollars, which is very, very lucrative. Uh, and yet there's no atonement. Um, the critical race theory says mm-hmm. that you can be guilty of it, even without any intentionality, even without any actions on your own part, even without any hostility, um, you can still be guilty of it. And so... Uh, and if you protest, well, there's the fragility part. Uh, if you protest about it, you are demonstrating your fragility. It's it's really this sort of trap that there's no way out of uh, and, and there's no real atonement for. It, it contradicts ultimately what the gospel is about, which points to our true guilt and our true forgiveness. Absolutely. You're, you're, you're exactly right. Um, and one of the saddest things, is, as you pointed out, is that there's absolutely zero forgiveness, zero forgiveness. That's, that's very intentional because then you have to keep working towards mm. reconciliation. You have to be an ally. You know, that's, that's the word they use. And to be an ally is to basically be completely submissive to everything they say you must believe and everything they say you must do. So you become a slave to this ideology. And, you know, one of the things that very, very much makes it very uh obvious and clear that this is a false religion is that every single person that I know, and I really mean every single person I know, unless they come to repentance, um, who embraces critical race theory, many of them eventually start to reject biblical doctrines, not just obviously on the issue of race or justice, but they also start to embrace other um, theological views that's completely opposed to the scriptures. I know many people who have fallen away from the faith because of critical race theory. It can seem like such a small issue, but it's completely corruptive, all right? And it's destroying how they see race, how they see uh, um, how they see gender, how they see sexuality, and of, of course, how they see identity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a different religion. I mean, Marx pretty made it clear that Marxism is its own kind of religion, right? By suggesting that Christianity is the opium of the masses, right? That is really what they say, which by the way, is why you also have something called not just white privilege, but Christian privilege, right? This idea that Christians are uniquely an oppressive privileged group in society. There's a book that I've been reading for the last several years, um, you know, called um, White Christian Privilege. And it's very much saying that white, Christians are especially the most oppressive people in society. And again, they're doing that to really separate white Christians from black Christians like me to say that, well, Sam, you know, because you're black, you're not quite as bad as, you know, as your white brothers, or I guess they wouldn't even call white people my brothers. They would just say, well, as, you know, some of the white people in your church. And again, it's creating all this division. And it's just, again, leading to a different kind of religion that you're seeing from so many people. 
I'm so grateful for your strong stance uh, regarding uh, wokeism and and critical uh, theory being uh, antithetical to a biblical worldview because it, it only makes sense. I mean, if if these ideologies are rooted in atheistic Marxism, how, how could they have any compatibility uh, with biblical truth or a biblical worldview? And I think that's so important that we get the word out to pastors, churches, because yep. uh, you're absolutely right. I, I've seen pastors introduce uh, Robin DiAngelo's book for small groups. Uh, I've yes. seen woke church being promoted, uh, that that book being promoted in, in pulpits. And uh, it's it, it, we are long overdue for voices like yours and getting out to the masses uh, uh, throughout the evangelical church. And it, you also just touched briefly that this isn't just an issue regarding race. Yeah. Um, we're, we're seeing kind of this Marxist theory also corrupt the church's thinking concerning gender and sexuality. Uh, we, we've seen over the last few years the, some of the most conservative churches, pastors, and denominations uh, embrace more of a Marxist theory concerning gender and sexuality uh, and go against a biblical stance regarding God's design uh, for gender, sexuality, marriage, and family. Talk, talk, to, uh, talk to us about how this Marxist the, uh, ideology and theory is even corrupting the church's view uh, on issues like gender and sexuality. Yeah, if if you don't mind, before I get to that, I want to explain how all these issues are intertwined. Yep. Um, one, there is a one of the core concepts of critical race theory is an ideology called intersectionality, right? Which basically says that all these issues—race, sexuality, g- uh, gender, um, immigration status, uh, religion—all these things are intertwined, and that you know who you you know where you fall into all these categories defines whether you are an oppressor or or an oppressed. So you know if you are a Christian white straight male, as they, as you you know often say, you are the worst kind of person in society. <laughs> but then if you are a Muslim immigrants, black, lesbian, well, or trans, whatever it is, then you are the most oppressed person in society, which gives you power, right? In in, in woke ideology, you know, if you are the so-called oppressor, then you should be powerless, right? Your voice doesn't really matter. Your job is just to shut up and listen. They say that oftentimes, just shut up and listen. But then if you are the oppressed person, then it is your voice that needs to be heard. But of course, they wouldn't be referring to someone like Vadi or Virgil or Daryl, Virgil Walker or Daryl Harrison's or or me. Um, they're referring to the people who really, you know, uh, who are not really just Uncle Toms, like they would describe the four of us. Um, you know, which is an interesting kind of way of the, how they see things, which is obviously racist. Um, but you know, through these concepts, um, it, it's obviously just deceiving so many people in the church. And the reason for that is because um, Marxism led to postmodernism, right? The two are very into one, or cultural Marxism. Cultural Marxism is basically postmodernism, which basically says there's no such thing as truth. You can't really understand anything. There's no real authority in society except the voice of the oppressed. That's really what they say, that the people who have authority, the only, in their mind, basically, the only authoritative, sufficient, inspired, inerrant voice you can have, it's not the word of God, it is the voices from the oppressed. So they do believe in authority. It's just coming from not the creator of the world, not God himself, not the author of the Bible, but it is the essentially black, lesbian, trans, 
kind of person, the people who are posing the word of God. They are the ones who should be the people we listen to. I say all that because, you know, critical race theory, Marxism, all of these things, they're really about identity. They're really about what is what what is true concerning humanity, concerning God, or, or again, especially identity. So if you are a Christian and you embrace one kind of these issues, especially race, they have you, right? Um, because as the Bible says, um, you know, a, a, a you know, um, I'm forgetting exactly how how to phrase it. I think it's a uh, oh man, it is. Leaving, uh, uh, unleaving is the whole lump. Um, forgive me, I'm kind of you know forgetting exactly what the text says there. But if you embrace, you know, Satan is not is not just satisfied with giving you a little bit of poison. He wants you to drink it all. He wants you to die from it. So once you embrace critical race theory, it is just inevitable that you're going to embrace a, a worldly view, not just on race, but on sexuality, gender, on a number of different issues. And you're seeing that right now. So, so many people who've embraced critical race theory now in, you know, in, in churches, many of them now, I'm sure they, they, they can't imagine that, that now they would oppose the, the, um, the unbiblical view of gender now, because once, for example, Black Lives Matter, um, during the 2020 riots, actually just a couple of weeks or three weeks after the George Floyd protest, they also had a Black Trans Lives Matter rally, right? People forget this, but they are very clear. You cannot be a true ally until you embrace all of these issues. So if you're an evangelical and you're just thinking, well, you just embrace a little bit of what they're teaching, a little bit of the race issue. But then as they keep saying that, look, you are an oppressor unless you completely agree with us. You're not, like, you can't just care for black men or black women. You have to care for black lesbians, for black trans people. Otherwise you are a racist. Otherwise you're an oppressor. You've already given in a little bit. You're only going to become more vulnerable to totality of woke ideology. That, and you're seeing that happening in the churches. That is so good and so important for us to understand because the only way Marxist theory works is if it takes over every sphere of culture. Yeah. Right? Karl Marx said we've got to take over the state, the economy, the family. We got to destroy the nuclear family. We got to take over education. And now we're seeing it in droves with this new wave of Marxism, as you called it. Cultural Marxism rooted in both, uh, you know, uh, postmodernism, secular humanism, and we're mm -hmm. seeing the takeover of every sphere of culture, uh, not just uh, tackling the issue of race, but also dealing with gender and sexuality. And of course, caring for trans people and caring for homosexual people it would be one thing, but what you're talking about is this this idea of caring really demands acceptance and affirmation and yes. celebration. It's not simply caring even though it's 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 phrased that way and so yeah. as Christians we now find ourselves in this this movement where I, I do think there are a lot of people who thought that they could just sort of nibble well I care mm -hmm. about racial reconciliation that's that's a good mm -hmm. thing I we, we should care about racial reconciliation and they thought yeah. they were just dipping their toe in this particular water and now suddenly we have children being mutilated uh, yeah. in the name of trans ideology and I, I think it mm -hmm. has surprised a lot of people but as you're pointing out, they are not completely separate things. So yep. where are we at now in the church, in this trans movement, and, and what are some of the things that we're going to be looking back on a century from now and, and shrugging, shrugging and wondering what in the world was going on back in 2023 in the <laughs> Western world? Yeah. 
You know, um, as you're as you're uh, saying that, uh, there's one thing that keeps coming to mind, uh, and it may not seem to be relating to what you're saying, but I'll, I'll um, perhaps you'll see how uh, why this came to, this comes to mind. Yeah, there was um, a very prominent um, reformed pastor um, who um, said something that really disturbed me a couple of years ago during again the. The, the craziness involving the Black Lives Matter 2020 riots. He said that a lot of his black friends tell him that they don't trust white people like him because, um, because people who, who look like him, white people, have offended people who look like them, essentially referring to the history of white supremacy and racism against black people. So he's saying he understands why some black people do not trust white people, which is this is a very prominent pastor. I'm like, you are proving racism. Mm. You're saying because some people have been offended, because some black people have been offended, it's okay for these black people then to show partiality against white people. You didn't sin against these people. Why is it okay for them to sin against you by assuming the worst of you, which is not loving, right? But I mentioned that because that kind of argument is why so many people have also embraced a, 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 um, a um, worldly view of sexuality and gender. Because they'll oftentimes say that, look, Christians have deeply offended um, you know, LGBT people. Therefore, we need to embrace their sinful ideology. Because if you don't want to be offensive, then you just need to make sure you don't offend them by agreeing with them. And as I think about all of this, a century from now, I want to be hopeful. I am hoping that we will have the same conclusion that we now have against, or at least many of us have against white supremacy. Hmm. But the reality is right now, while you have some people who have, praise God, who have rejected these woke ideologies, you also have so many people who are, who are not. There's so many churches who are, like, so many pastors who it seems like every other week people are coming out saying how they've now become more open-minded and they're embracing all these views. So I'm hoping that essentially from now we can look back and say, look at how horrible we were treating these children. Children who are confused about their identity, are confused about their sexuality, about their gender, where the church should be, and, and praise God, many Christians, many churches are teaching the truth on this, and they're saving lives and saving souls, and I thank God for that. But I also just, I am horrified that, unfortunately, a century from now, you will have people going to churches saying, why didn't you do anything? Why didn't you do anything when all these children mm -hmm. were being deceived and were being mutilated? You know, so it's hard for me to say, uh, you know, I, I, I have to believe that, it, that by that point, we will come to our senses. But the reality is sin is not sensible, right? And only the gospel can change that. We seem to be moving in a certain direction in our culture right now where we are in a Romans 1 society. And I'm not quite sure what things will look like a century from now, but I'm hoping that through the grace of God, through churches, faithful churches preaching the gospel, that it will look different. But it will only look different, not because people will come to their senses, but only because people will see the need for repentance in Christ. 
That is the hope that we have. And I'm hoping that uh, as more of us preach the gospel, because as you mentioned earlier, people think this is a political issue. It's not a political issue. I mean, everything in a sense is political, but this is more than that. This is a theological issue that can only be addressed by theological truth, which comes from the word of God. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not after a Christless conservatism. Right. Yes, uh, we, yes. We want Christ to be grounding every thought, uh, every ideology, every conviction that we have needs to be grounded and rooted in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, Samuel, last question uh, for our interview. Uh, some people might hear this interview, might hear the three of us talk and say, one, uh, don't you guys care about justice? And two, they might say, you're being overly simplistic. Uh, just give them Jesus. Or uh, just you're, you're making the problems in society, uh, you're glossing over them and just say, yeah, just give them the gospel, just give them Jesus. What would yeah. you say to those challenges to this discussion that, one, we don't really care about Jesus and we're oversimplifying the problems of society? Yeah, yeah. Um- Jesus says, um, love God, love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor means, you know, loving, obeying what God has said we should do for them, which, and then goes back to the same God who said that, the same Christ who said, love God and love your neighbor. It's also the same one who said, and I think uh, Leviticus, Leviticus uh, 17, 19, I think, where he says, do not pervert justice, right? Do not show partiality to, to the great or to the small or the rich or the poor, right? Which means, again, do not be, show partiality, not just to the so-called bourgeoisie or the proletariat, do not treat um, uh, rich people better than you would treat poor people. It also means do not treat poor people better than you would treat, uh, better than you treat rich people, which also means then do not be racist against white people or black people. The reason why I hate critical race theory is because God commands me to hate all kinds of partiality, mm-hmm. all kinds of it. I want to be a faithful servant of Jesus Christ. Obviously, as a black man, I very much hate racism against black people. But as a Christian, all right, I also am called to hate racism against white people as well. And critical race theory is racism. It is a different version of, of it, it's very similar to white supremacy, except it's, turn, it's really a bit of a black supremacy, right? It is repaying evil for evil, or as I say, racism for racism. And as faithful Christians, we should love people by hating every ideology that shows partiality against people made in the image of God. Amen. That is so good. Well, we're, we're so appreciative of your work. Uh, if you've never been to uh, Samuel Say's website, Slow to Speak, uh, has incredible resources. Uh, really appreciate the resource that you put up there uh, recently or the article, why some evangelicals are embracing racism, kind of impact some of the issues and topics we were talking about today. But thank you for your strong stance on these cultural issues, but rooting them in the sufficiency of God's word, because as we have said repeatedly on this program today, that it is God's word alone that is sufficient for every matter in life. So uh, thank you for your ministry and for your voice in this cultural moment. Amen. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the City of God podcast with our friend Samuel Say. If you enjoyed this episode, please uh, pass this along to family and friends as together we discover what it means to address today's biggest cultural issues all through the lens of God's word. And until next time, may God richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries. 
and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God Podcast, where Christ meets culture.